I'd like to introduce our lead pastor, Pastor Joe Soros. Thank you, everybody. Hey, listen, stir yourself up. This is an exciting time we live in right now. Oh, you're going to have to move it over a little bit. I got it. I got it. All right. Yeah, that's okay. The legs are a little weird, but that's all right. I know a lot of people whose legs are a little weird. How are we doing today? Listen, stir yourself up. God's given us the opportunity to minister to individuals that are overwhelmed, individuals that find themselves out in the street, families, like Brian said. When you touch a person like that, you touch the whole family. You touch their entire sphere of influence, people that they know. And I don't know about you, but I, I want a big part in that. And uh, last year, we did this last year, and um, last year we raised over $8,000 to send to the Jersey Shore Mission. Uh, I'm believing God for 10000 this year. Amen? Um, yeah, clap. But when you're done clapping, put your hand in your pocket. <laughs> now, let's make it big this year because there's, there's a whole lot more people that are facing these kind of challenges in these years that we find ourselves in now than ever have in the past. Amen? And that's what we're all about, right? Two people said yes. That's what we're all about, right? Redeeming individuals. Um, getting them out of the gutter and getting them into uh, a life that's full of vision and full of fulfillment and contentment. Amen? So, um, so let's do the math real quick. You're going to either give three... That's one person, but start thinking big. Six, nine, 12. 15, Come on, let's, let's see how good you can get. Six, 18, 21. So, so let's, let's establish like a baseline, like, um, let's see, at least 21 bucks. Really, today, what do you buy for 21 bucks? You don't buy much for 20. If, we, if everybody could do $21 a piece, man, we'll reach the goal definitely reach your goal in the next couple of weeks. Amen? Amen. So, you guys ready? Yes. I don't believe you. You guys ready? Yes. All right, because um, I, I, I think this is going to be a really, really good teaching. It's been really good in the past two services, and this morning service and last night's service. Uh, but here's my goal. I'm going to skip over reviewing anything. If you haven't been here with us, please go online, go to the YouTube channel, our YouTube channel, and go Listen to the rest of the foundation series. As this is week number nine. I can't possibly review all nine weeks and still um, cover today and get us out of here before six o'clock. Um, so here's my goal. This part of the series, we're talking about foundations, our foundational beliefs, okay? This part of the series today, we're going to focus on communion. That's why I have these items up here. I know you have that little cup on, on your chair. And, um, you know, we do that because, you know, we want everybody to feel safe and it's more sanitary and safer to pass around. But I'm using today this matzah. And I mean, this is not a shot glass. This is a juice glass. Okay? Say juice glass. Juice glass. I don't want people going home and going to Facebook. Oh, Pastor Joe. The communion today was shot glass. Now, honey, if this is your shot glass, you need help. Um, so, my goal for this weekend is to do an, a very in-depth study of communion so that if you're in this place, and I don't know if you are, I'm not, I'm not going to assume you are, but just in case you're in this place where you really don't know why we do this, why every once in a while do we come up with these little cups and the little wafer and, and things of that nature? Um, <clears throat> if you're not really sure about that, then you really can't participate in it and truly get everything out of it that Jesus desires for us to experience. So <clears throat> I want us to take the time this weekend to make sure that in our foundation of our beliefs that we're 100% solid on what, why communion is important why it extends down to this day, even though Jesus established it <clears throat> 2,000 years ago. And honestly, you're going to find out today, it goes back 3,500 years, not 2,000 years. Okay? So 
I don't know what your background has been. My background, many of you know from, from me sharing in the past, I have a background being raised Roman Catholic. In fact, within my family, I was known as the most devout of the family members as it pertained to our religion, our faith. I went to Catholic school, you know, the whole bit when you were little. And um, in our family, out of all of them, um, they always looked to me to like, you know, he's the religious one. And um, I found out later when I got born again, uh, and, you know, there's that time period where you're, you're really, you know, when, when I went to Catholic school, of course, you had to go to church every day, not just Sunday. We had to start the day off in Catholic at Mass, and we went from Mass to the next building next door where we had uh, our school. So um, in my late teens, uh, early uh, adulthood, kind of like shied away from everything, and then got born again at 27 years old, just a few years ago. Um, <laughs> and then started, thank God that the Lord put me in a church where it was study the word, study the word, study the word, study the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, okay? But I'll never forget the first communion service I sat in as a new believer. And the, the pastor actually explained from the scriptures, from the Bible, what communion was all about. Now, communion always had a big part in my life. I knew there was something special about this. I knew this just wasn't a snack five minutes before you get out. You know, the bells ring, boom, okay, we're done. About five minutes, we'll be out of here. I knew it meant more than that, but no one had ever explained to me from the scriptures. No one had showed me the spiritual significance, but I knew on the inside, instinctively, I knew there was something special about this. So the very first time I sat in a service in a church like ours, born again, spirit-filled, and the pastor taught from the scriptures about communion, my mind was blown. I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense now. This is not just about a piece of bread and about a cup. And of course, back then, I don't know how they do it now in the Catholic Church, but back then, they only gave you the bread. You didn't get the cup. And I don't know what that reason was. I really don't care at this point. But when I found out about the significance, not only of, of the bread, but also of the cup, I was like, Man, why didn't somebody tell me about this before? And all of a sudden, communion now made sense. It, the depth and the richness and, and, and just the, 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 the life that comes out of this event that we do every once in a while where we come together and we share this bread and we share the cup, it's just astronomical. So my goal is that you today, in whatever area you find yourself in, I know there's some of you that have explored this on your own. You've sat under teachings before. But for those that are maybe newer, and for those that maybe, whatever, I don't know what background you come from, I would ask you that I would be able to have your attention today, because we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures. This is going to be more Bible study than preaching. But I guarantee you, if you'll stick with this, you're going to walk out of here today and go, wow, I never knew communion could be such an exciting thing, could be such a life-giving thing. And I pray that you'll give me your attention. Can, can I have that, please? All right, thank you. So let's start out in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to spend some time in the Gospels. Matthew 26, excuse me, verse 26. While they, the 120, or excuse me, the, the disciples that had gathered in the upper room with Jesus to celebrate this meal, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Now, we'll talk more about that later. Verse 27, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? I tell you, verse 29, that I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, that's something that jumped out at me last night. I had not seen this before. And that's what's so awesome about the Word of God. Every time you study it, depending on the season you're in, something else will jump. Some other truth will come and go, here I am, look at me. Now watch this now. He said, he, he, he blessed the bread, broke the bread, gave it to them, said, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he had given thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. And he declared it, this is my blood 
Now, obviously, they weren't drinking blood. They were drinking wine. And by the way, we don't use wine here. We use grape juice. We don't want to stumble anybody that's in recovery. We don't want somebody to come out of here of communion and go, oh, wow, I forgot how good this tasted, and just get out on binge. You know what I'm saying? So we use grape juice. It does not matter. It's about the symbol, okay? It's about the symbol, all right? So watch this now. He said to them, he gives them the bread, he gives them the cup. He doesn't eat of it. He doesn't drink from it. He said to him, I'm not going to drink of this or eat of this anymore until I drink it anew, King James says anew, in the kingdom. So, so in a real sense, he gave us this, what some people call an ordinance, or he gave us this command to observe this event for us. We're to do it in remembrance of him. We're, when we come together and take communion, we're taking communion on behalf and in memory of Jesus, right? But when, listen, when he comes back the next time, we're going to be taking it with him. It'll be communion with him, and it'll, be, it'll go from a memorial to a celebration. You listening? We got a lot to look forward to in the future. He's coming soon. Thank you. I said he's coming soon. All right, so it tells us then, verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to, to the Mount of Olives. Obviously, you remember the Mount of Olives is the place he was betrayed. So this all takes place before that. So I don't know what background you grew up in. Maybe you grew up calling it communion. Maybe you grew up calling it the Lord's Supper. Maybe you grew up calling it the Eucharist. My background is more communion than the Eucharist. Um, but it's all the same. It's all describing the same event. It's taking this bread, uh, and bread that's unleavened without any kind of yeast, and taking the cup. Now, some churches um, take communion every time they meet. Some churches only do it once a year. We do it every other month. And there's, there's a reason why we do it that way. Um, we want it to be special. We don't want communion. I know growing up, when I did in the church, you were like, eh, okay. Because every time you went to church, it was the communion. And that was it. It was like a snack at the end of the and please, I'm not trying to bash anything or make fun of anybody. It's just we did not have the, the depth of revelation that we could have when we studied the scriptures. And so, again, if you do it all the time, it kind of loses its specialness. And so the other thing that we do that maybe some churches don't do, um, we don't just have the service and then slap communion on the end of it. When, we have, when we're having a communion service, we're having a communion service. We're going to teach about communion. We're going to take the time to prepare our hearts so that when we take communion together, we're doing it in faith and we're doing it with a heart of appreciation because that's how it should be, amen? All right, I'll just keep going. Um, here, we do it every other month uh, unless the Holy Spirit kind of impresses on our hearts that we need to do it um, more often. Now, let me say this ahead of time before I get through any of this. Um, most of us were raised to think that the only time we could take communion is when we came to church or went to a church or there was a special person who touched the wafer and you're not supposed to touch it and I'm not supposed to touch it. And uh, I'm sorry, that's not scriptural. It's not in the Bible. In fact, we're actually encouraged to take communion as often as, as we want to. And so I would admonish you, and I started doing this decades ago, I mean, if, you, if, if you're in prayer or you're in your devotion time or you're studying the Word or you're watching TV and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart, hey, be a good idea to take communion right now. Take that step. Say, well, I don't have the cups. Well, if you want them, we'll give you something to take home, but you don't really need those cups. If you have a Ritz cracker, if you have a, a wheat thin, if you have any type of a cracker like that, uh, if you have uh, any kind of juice or something, it doesn't, well, I don't have any grape juice. Uh, use orange juice, use whatever. It's the symbol that matters, and it's the condition of the heart that matters more than anything, that you want to take time, take a time out, set yourself apart, go over the scriptures yourself and the gospels as it pertains to communion, and then make that a really special time between you and God. This is an awesome way for you to develop more intimacy with the Holy Spirit, when it's just you and him. And just go for it. Just read the scriptures. Say, Jesus, I, I'm just doing this because I want to appreciate you. I want to show you my gratitude and my thanksgiving. And go ahead. You know, there's sometimes that God will use this. I know in my life, there's been a number of different occasions. I can think of one time in particular uh, about eight or 10 years ago 
where I was impressed with the Lord for over a month, every day to take communion, first thing in the morning, as soon as I woke up, get apart by myself, take communion, thank Jesus for all that he did for me, just stay in that atmosphere. And then about a month, about six weeks later, something very dramatic happened, and I realized, wow, you were getting me ready for this because I would have no way been prepared for this kind of thing if I hadn't taken that time out. So it's a way for us to grow cl closer to the Lord. It's not something that's just a ritual. Please, and again, I'm not mocking anybody. It's not something you and everybody's chanting. And all. No, don't do that. That's religious. That is a religious thing. Make it personal. Turn to somebody say, make it personal. All right. So the observance of communion should be one of a foundational building block. Here's the reason why. Because every once in a while, when we take communion, we have a communion service. What it does is it causes us, as a church now I'm talking about, it causes us to disconnect from whatever else we're doing and go back to the basics of our faith. This is the basics. Jesus' body being given for us. Jesus' blood being shed for us. All of Christianity rests on that foundation. So, so in, in, in the case of the type of church that we are now, okay, uh, and many other churches do the same thing, we teach a lot of series all the time. And we could, for instance, this series now is week number nine. Now, what's been unique about this series is every week it's been a standalone topic. It's been a particular topic. Okay, they haven't been carrying over. But I remember one time I was telling the first service this morning that I, I taught on the blood covenant. And if you don't, if you haven't studied the blood covenant, you really haven't read the Bible yet. And then when I taught on the blood covenant, that series, it was on Wednesday nights, it was 18 weeks. My sons who were on staff back then were telling me, Dad, when are you gonna finish this thing? Like, you know, it's been a long time now. That's when it was 12 weeks. I said, Well, I'm not done yet, I gotta keep going. So, so we teach a lot in the series. And again, there's a lot of reasons for that, most of the time, uh, because contrary to the way things were years ago, not everybody comes to church every week. I know some of you do that are here today, uh, but some others that are here today, we won't see you for a while, okay? So we teach series so that no matter how often or how frequent a person comes or doesn't come, at least when they come into one of those series weeks, they're going to get something out of that teaching. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, there is a method to the way we do things uh, or reason for the way we do things. So when you have communion, then what it does is it causes us or forces us to check out of that particular thing that we're studying and go back to the basics and, and then get back into studying something else and then get back to the basics. You understand what I'm saying? So it's very practical. At least shake your head. Let me know that you're still here. Okay, good. Thank you. All right, um, so let's get to this place where we look at the basics of the faith, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, I'm actually going to skip to verse 3. I'm going to start at verse 3. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, said this, or wrote this, for what I received, I passed unto you as an act of first importance. That, now, that's significant, because Paul's telling us here I didn't come up with this. This was given to me. And usually when he says this, he's saying, I got this directly from the Holy Spirit, and I'm passing it on to you. All right? For I what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So he's saying, this is a priority, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You're going to hear Paul in his writings always use this phrase, according to the scriptures, because Paul was a scholar in the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. So he's saying, when he's saying that, he's going, look, this, what I'm about to tell you, is a fulfillment of a scripture that either Moses gave us, one of the prophets or something. He's saying, this is fulfilling a scripture that was given to us hundreds and thousands of years ago, Okay. That was important to him. It should be important to us. Why? He's saying Jesus fulfilled all the scriptures in the Old Testament, and we know that he's the Messiah. He died for our sins. He rose again from the dead, and these were all prophesied or predicted in the scriptures. So communion is designed to remind us of the love that God has towards us. 
Luke chapter 22. Let's go there. I want you to see something significant here. Luke chapter 22. You learning anything yet? When the hour had come, he's talking about the Last Supper now. When the hour had come, he, Jesus, sat down with the 12 apostles with him. Go ahead. And then he said to them, now this is the only gospel out of all four of them that tells us this part of what happened at the Last Supper, okay? He said, now this is extremely important. He said to them, with fervent desire. We could say today, with passion. I have desired, or with a strong desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now listen, to them, this was just another Passover meal, which they did every year, right around this time. In fact, this year, I think Passover and Easter fall right on the same weekend, if I'm not mistaken. They're always within days of each other, if not a week at the most. Um, the way their lunar calendar and, the, and our calendar kind of uh, line up. For I say to you, here it is again, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, there's two significant things we need to look at in this passage, all right? I'm assuming you came here today to learn something, right? Okay, you didn't come here today to be entertained because I don't do good tap dances and I'm too tired at this point anyway. But watch this now. He said to them, I've had such a strong desire to eat this Passover with you. Now, you should mark that in your mind. And here's the reason, and this is where the bulk of the teaching is going to be today. We, as Western Christians, American Christians, we, unfortunately, for the most part, have disconnected ourselves from our roots. Luke is writing to his church that was predominantly Jewish at that time. You and I, if we don't purposely and intentionally go study our roots, then most of the New Testament gospels and the writings, especially Paul's writings, are lost to us because they're talking to, the gospels are written predominantly. I mean, Matthew was written more to the Romans and to Gentiles, but for the most part, they're writing to Jews. Paul's writing to Jews. Every time Paul went to a new town, first place he went to was where? The synagogue. He goes to the synagogue. He presents himself to them. He teaches them. If they receive him, he stays here. If they reject him, he goes. But the first place he went to was always the synagogue. Now, when Luke wrote this, and it says that he said to them, I've had a, a passionate desire to eat this Passover with you. We should underline Passover because they immediately understood what he was talking about. Now, the second thing that he said, give me a second to look at my notes. When he, when he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them. He said, this is my body, which is given me. Do this in remembrance of me. All of a sudden, they connected it to the fact that he had already declared himself to be the bread of life, yes? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Gospel of John specifically tells us that. But also, where was Jesus born? Beth, Beth, Lehem. Three different words, not one word. Beit, Lehem. Beit is house, Hem is bread. Jesus, the bread of life, is born in the house of bread, and presents himself as the bread of life. They understood this. These kind of things are blind to us unless we do the research. It all connects. They knew exactly what was going on that night at the Passover because of the wording he used. He also said something very significant. Verse 20, he said, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, number one, you can't have a covenant without blood. In ancient times, in order to officiate a covenant and to make sure that this was done 100% accurately, blood had to be shed. Either an animal's blood was shed, and most of the time an animal was slaughtered, blood was shed, and they would enjoy that animal in, in their dinner. Or, or in the case of David, when David made a covenant with Jonathan, Saul's son, they literally, this is where we get the blood brother thing from, they literally cut their wrists and mingled their blood together. And from that point forward, they're in covenant with each other. They lay their life down for each other. Whatever one has is available to the other. Okay, it's very strong language. So when Jesus said at that supper, at that Passover Seder, that dinner, this is the cup, this cup is my blood in the new covenant, in the new covenant, that was a monumental announcement. For us, we just go over it, blood new covenant, because we've been living in a new covenant. They're still under old covenant. The gospels are still under the Old Testament. Well, pastor, my Bible uh, it says New Testament in the gospel. No, no, that's the way it just, the, the way they printed the Bibles. But in fact, the Old Testament stops when Jesus said it is finished. It's complete. It's been fulfilled. Okay? From that point forward, then it's New Testament. It's a whole different covenant. But here's what I want you to understand. I'm trying to get you to, t to appreciate the significance of these things. I'm not up here trying to show off all these facts, please. It's just if you don't understand the richness of this. If you don't hear these things the way the disciples heard them, you're not getting the fullness of it. When he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, their minds immediately went to the book of Jeremiah and the book of Ezekiel, where God said, and in that day, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And he goes on to say, I'll take out their stony heart and I'll put in a heart of flesh. But then he went, and this is appropriate to the time that we're living in right now. Okay, I said to you before that Jesus is coming soon. That's not because there's a war in the Ukraine right now or in Russia. There's been many wars. There's going to continue to be wars. But in those prophecies in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, the new covenant includes, and in that day, no longer shall they say, blessed be the Lord who redeemed us from Egypt. In that day, they'll say, blessed be the name of the Lord who redeemed us from the land of the north. Okay? Yeah, wow. That hit me last night. Wow. The land of the north. Right now, <laughs> if you're in Israel and you're standing in Jerusalem, the land of the north is Ukraine, Moscow, Eastern Europe, all of these areas, which back in the 1800s, the Jews began to have a stirring on the inside and said, we don't belong here. We need to go to our land. And hundreds of thousands of Jews have immigrated from Eastern Europe, from Russia, from all of these areas over the past 100 years have been resettling in the land that God gave them. We're in the last days. You let all different areas, there's so many different facets we could bring in. Trust me when I tell you this. <laughs> We're in the last days. He's coming soon. And we better be ready. Amen? So they heard, when they heard New Covenant, they went, whoa. This is Jeremiah's talking. This is Ezekiel's speech, his prophecies. And they understood the significance of it. Okay? Now, let's go. This was all introduction. Let's go to the teaching now. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Paul writing to the church there, the Corinthians. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, say this with me out loud, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Paul, who understood the Old Testament, who was able to take the Old Testament and put it right over his current times and what he was experiencing with Jesus, understood, oh, hey, he, he, Jesus, the Messiah, is the lamb that Moses spoke about in the book of Exodus. And he calls him our Passover. Our Passover. 
Because you, you read in the Gospels, and sometimes it'll say, and when it was time for the Passover of the Jews. But now it's no longer just the Passover of the Jews, okay? I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just telling you what, what the scriptures say. Now he's our Passover lamb. Try to hold yourselves back from getting excited because I got to move on here, okay? Do you understand the significance of this? This is saying that that lamb that they celebrated, and we're going to look about it in detail now in Exodus chapter 12, that they, they, it was part of their celebration on the night before they left slavery. Paul says that lamb represented this Jesus who not only is our Messiah, but he's also our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Next verse. Therefore, let us keep the festival. What festival? Passover. C communion. Not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness. In other words, get, it, get your carnality out of the way. Get rid of the malice. Get rid of the wickedness. Why? We're going to take communion. Let's get our hearts prepared. Okay? But, but don't, don't, let's not celebrate this festival, this ordinance, with the old carnal nature, but with the new nature, that bread of what? Sincerity and truth. We should never take communion without preparing our hearts. You got this? Yeah. All right. So he's our Passover, yes? yes? Let's find out what, what they're talking about. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look. Now, can you manage to say this nice and loud with me? One, two, three. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Got it? Okay. Exodus chapter 12. You guys want me to stop here or you want me to keep going? Okay. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Now, Moses and Aaron, look at me, look at me, look at me. Shake off your, your whatever. Just pay attention here. This is important. God is giving instructions to Moses and Aaron of how he's going to release the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. You think that's a big deal? Yeah, it is. Now, let me show you something else. I won't go into a lot of detail. This is a perfect example of a teaching that I did a number of years ago. I need to do it again. Brian, you're going to have to write a note. Put it on my desk. When you pray, you don't receive answers to prayer. You receive instruction. I'll say it again. When you pray, you don't receive answers to prayer. You receive instruction. I'll give you one example. There's many of them. I'll give you one example. This is another one. Peter comes up to Jesus and says, the tax collectors are here. We need money. Jesus doesn't go. Jesus says to him, get your fish line, throw it in the water. The first fish that you catch, put your finger in his mouth. There's two coins in there, one for you, one for me. Peter had a need, yes? Did Jesus produce the money? He gave him instruction. Now, what if Peter would have said, oh, come on, I don't believe that. And that's what happens to us. We receive instruction. What we really want is for him to do everything for us so we don't have to lift a finger. We pray, he gives us instruction. Some of you prayed this morning. Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time here. Lord, I'm this, I'm that, and the other thing. And God said, go to church. <laughs> you prayed. What'd you receive? Instruction, okay? Here's the instruction. Watch this now. Verse 2, this month shall be the beginning of your months. In other words, God's establishing a brand new calendar so that every year, at the beginning of their year, now don't say, oh, wait a minute, that's September, October. No, no, that's a different calendar. This is God's calendar. God's calendar, the first month of the year, is the time that we're in right now, between March and April, okay? So that every time they would start a new year, they would remember this is the time that God released us from slavery. This month shall the beginning of months shall be the first month of the year for you. Here's the instructions. Moses is giving the instructions now to Aaron. Aaron's going to give instructions to the people of Israel. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. A lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Notice the instruction Moses gave to the Israelites 
is that you're to take a lamb. Say a lamb. But John the Baptist, when he saw him coming down the road, said, behold, the lamb. You catching this? A lamb, the lamb. You got it? Verse 4, if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. This is just directions on how, what size lamb you should get. Okay, think about your Thanksgiving meals. If you got four people coming for dinner, are you going to go buy a 24-pound turkey? No, you buy about a 10 or 12. <laughs> Somebody said, in my house, you would. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? This is how practical God gets. Like, and listen, if you're having 24 people, you don't buy a 10-pound turkey. Not unless you're really cheap, okay? What he's saying is pick a lamb according to the amount of people that you're going to feed, okay, so that everyone can partake of it. Because right, Jesus is for everybody, right? All right. Good. Now, it shall be, verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, no deformity, no spots, no, no nothing, nothing wrong, perfect. Jesus is perfect. No sin, no sin nature found in him. You listening? You see how it all comes together? Now, watch this now. Peter caught, made this connection. Because years later, after the crucifixion, Peter writes this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but the precious blood of Christ. Look what it says next. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed these last times for your sake. Watch this now. Peter said he was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in those last times. The instruction that Moses gave to Israelites is you, you choose your lamb on the 10th day, but you don't bring him out until the 14th day. There's a time for choosing. There's a time for revealing. You got this? Okay, it was only that last week from Palm Sunday, we call Palm Sunday, until Good Friday when Jesus went to the cross that he chose to truly reveal himself for who he is. If you remember, after they arrested him after the Last Supper, he goes to this trial, total mock trial. The high priest says to him, after there's witnesses and all contradictory witnesses come about accusing Jesus, then the high priest stands in front of Jesus and says to him, just tell us yourself, are you the Messiah? And he says, I am, and you shall see me. Now he quotes the book of Daniel. You'll see me coming on the clouds of glory and the glory of my father also. He, he can, he, what happened? He revealed himself when he came into Jerusalem According to the prophecies of Zechariah, they said, here comes your king on a donkey, okay? He rides into Jerusalem. All the people are praising him, Hosanna, 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 blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he gets revealed and slaughtered on Good Friday. You, you see what I'm saying? The lamb is chosen, the lamb is slaughtered. Choose for yourself on the 10th day of the month and then slaughtered. Now watch this now. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and look at this. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Twilight, late in the afternoon, before sundown. Jesus dies late in the afternoon, before sundown, okay? And the, and the thing that's really gripping is this, that while he's on the cross struggling with his last breaths. And John is standing there, the apostle John is standing there, and Mary, Jesus' mother, is standing there, and there's a couple of other women that are standing there. All the, all the rest of the disciples booked. They were afraid, okay? But John is standing there. While this is going on and Jesus is struggling, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. At that same moment in the temple, they're slaughtering thousands of lambs, getting them ready for the first Passover meal. He is the Lamb of God 
that takes away the sin of the world. Amen? Amen. Now watch. Verse 7. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lentil of the house is where they eat it. So when you slaughter the lamb that you're going to use for your meal, this is Moses telling the Israelites first Passover. They're supposed to take some of that blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lentil. Could you all just turn around a minute because we're going to have some demonstration back there. Look, turn around, turn around. There's the doorpost on the sides and then above it, across the top, is a lentil. So their instruction was to take the blood and, and, and apply it to the doorpost right there. And then, Mike, are you got your hand on the middle there? Okay, move to the side, okay. All right, and now the lentil on top in the middle. When, what do you have there? Across. Look at, look at, Passover, the first Passover was approximately 1,500 years before the Last Supper. For 1,500 years, they remembered, they had the cross right in front of them. That night of that Passover, when they're going to escape the angel of death, listen to me, they've got the cross in front of them. For the past 2,000 years, God's people, Abraham's descendants, have had Jesus in front of them for the past 2,000 years. And we're praying, like Paul prays in Romans chapter 11, that someday all Israel shall be saved. That Abraham's descendants' eyes would be open, and even this Passover this year, I pray in the name of Jesus that God, by the Holy Spirit, would open up the hearts of Abraham's descendants that this year, at their Passover celebration, they're going to see Jesus. Amen? Amen? He goes on to say, verse 8, they shall eat, it, eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire. Remember that. With unleavened bread, bread with no yeast, with no, no sin, no, no, no symbol of sin in it. Okay? With bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all in water, but roasted. Two times he says roasted. There's a reason for that. Because fire like this, roasting, fire, consuming fire, is a type of judgment, is a type, it's symbolic of God's anger coming upon an individual. So basically, they're realizing, wow, all the anger of God is coming upon this lamb. He's roasted, condemned, judged. All the anger of God. You notice the anger didn't go on the person cooking the lamb. The wrath falls on the lamb. Are you getting this? You notice that none of the disciples went to the cross with Jesus? It's Jesus. Only the lamb goes to the cross and suffers that kind of judgment. You getting this? Now, watch this now. Verse 9 again. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire. Its head with its legs and its entrails. That means the entire animal has to be roasted. That's not an easy thing to do. Has anybody here ever made the mistake on Thanksgiving Day of putting the turkey in the oven without taking the stuffing, without taking the guts from the inside? Go ahead, you can, you can be honest. It's horrible. It stinks. It smells. It, it ruins the flavor of the rest of the turkey. Yes or no? So how are they going to cook this lamb? How are they going to follow this commandment? How are they going to obey completely to the last letter of the law these instructions that God gave them? We have a slide of the way this would have been prepared in primitive times, okay? You've got a, 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 a lamb there. Now, unfortunately, the head's not attached, and the, uh, we'll talk about that. So, so basically, they would have to split this lamb open, take out the intestines, take out the organs, and fix it on a spit that very much looks like a cross, yes or no? And roast that thing, but here's the difference. To obey to the final letter of instruction, they would have to take the intestines and wrap it around the head of the lamb and roast it that way. Let me ask you this question. If you see a lamb with its head intact and the intestines wrapped around its head, what do you think of? Jesus with the crown of thorns. He was showing them their Messiah. He was showing them the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is no coincidence, listen to me, it is no coincidence that Jesus was crucified during Passover. 
No coincidence, no coincidence at all. It's an intentional plan. Because God, from the beginning of time, the book of Genesis is constantly revealing himself, continuously, progressively revealing himself. So he revealed it through types and shadows, through symbols in the first Passover. But then in that Passover, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's outright, here I am. This is my body. This is my blood, which is given for you. Do you see it? Do you see it? Now, let's go to Isaiah 53, and we're going to wrap this whole thing up. Isaiah 53. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this portion of Scripture. Isaiah receives insight. Oh, this is so cool. It just dawned on me. The first Passover is 1,500 years before Jesus comes to earth. Remember that God is progressively revealing himself. So from 1500 B.C. at 700 B.C., the prophet Isaiah comes on a scene halfway through and gives us more insight to what took place on the cross. Say, well, it's 700 years before Jesus was born. Yeah, it's very possible. I believe it all my heart that Isaiah had a vision of the future. He didn't know who this person's name was, didn't know his name, but he knew what was going on in this person's life. Listen. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He, this individual who he's seen in a vision, was despised and rejected by mankind. You remember the, remember the trial before Pilate? No, we don't want this man. Give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. No, crucify Jesus. And Pilate's thinking, wait a second. It was only a few days ago that he rode in on a donkey and you were all cheering that this is the king of Israel. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yet that day, they despised him. They rejected him. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Yeah, he went through hell when the Romans tortured him, beat him, whipped him, ripped open his back put the crown of thorns on his head, blood pouring out from all over the place. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. They didn't even recognize, he wasn't even recognizable from the Romans punching him, skull ripped open, beard plucked out. His face is probably swollen two or three times the size of normal. Surely, Verse 4 says, he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. When Isaiah was seeing this man in this vision, he's thinking to himself, what did this man do to deserve this kind of punishment? What kind of crime? This man is under the curse of God. Verse 5 then, he clarifies it. But he, the man he saw in this vision, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds or stripes, depending on your translation, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I told you I was using this for an illustration. Now, I'm not proposing to you that at the Last Supper, the matzah looked like this. Obviously, this is mass-produced. But they would have taken flour, they would have taken water, nothing else, no leavening, no yeast, mixed that together, and made almost like a tortilla and put it on some type of either a grill or some flat iron to cook. But they would have had to do something to guarantee that it was cooked all throughout. They would have had to make little holes in that bread, pierced. They would have to cook that bread. And I submit to you today, the bread of life, stripes for our healing, pierced for our transgressions, and by his wounds, we're healed. I pray from this moment forward that whenever you take communion, 
and you use matzah that you never look at it the same. Whenever you put one out of the box to have a snack, I pray that you never look at it the same. By his stripes, we're healed. The cup represents the most powerful thing in the entire universe. I'm not saying the juice in the cup that you're going to take. I'm saying it's symbolic of the most powerful thing in the universe because it was the blood of Jesus that defeated Satan. It's the blood of Jesus that redeemed you and ransomed you. It's the blood of Jesus that cleansed us so that we can come into the presence of God, his blood. I pray that communion is never the same for you in the future. We have instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from the Apostle Paul. Remember the instructions we have from the Gospels were for then, the Gospels. Paul's the only one that gives us instruction to the church in this church age about communion. And again, he uses the same terminology. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Stop there. What's he saying? Remember, church, Paul was not there at the Last Supper. Paul never saw Jesus in his physical ministry on the earth. In fact, if you line up the timelines, Paul was probably a little child when Jesus was on the earth. Probably wasn't even living near Jerusalem, but probably still in Tarsus in Turkey. He would have been brought to Jerusalem to study under a famous rabbi who to this day, the Jewish people have reverence for, a man named Gamaliel. It tells us in the book of Acts. Paul studied under this man. Paul was being groomed to be the next head rabbi in Jerusalem of his time. And Paul is telling us, I didn't get this from any human being. I got this when I'm about to tell you right from Jesus. For I received from the Lord what I passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds this other revelation. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So right now, in this church age, we're proclaiming Christ's death, burial, and resurrection when we take communion. But when he returns, we're going to be celebrating the Messiah here on earth, ruling and reigning forever. Amen? Amen. We'd like to worship before we take communion. Would you please stand up and, and sing with us as we prepare our hearts? Now, listen, listen, listen. Please take this time while we're singing to prepare your hearts. If you have someone that you should be forgiving, forgive them from your heart. If you have need of forgiveness right now, ask God for forgiveness. And then if it involves another person, promise God that you, as soon as possible, will go and be reconciled to that individual. We want to prepare our hearts. If you sense that there's anything on your end between you and God, get it out of the way. Confess it. Get it out of the way so we can take communion together and really receive from it. Amen? Let, let's sing to the Lord. Paul said the Lord told him, and on the night before he was betrayed, well, the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take hold of that little wafer that's in your communion packet there. Father, we pray your blessing upon this bread. 
upon the wafers that people are holding, upon this bread, Father, that I'm holding. We pray, God, your blessing upon it. Thank you for all that it represents, Lord. Thank you. And Jesus, the bread of life, gave himself on our behalf, God, surrendered his body to be slaughtered, Father, on that cross, not withholding anything, nothing, giving himself totally over unto you, Father. And because of that, because of that sacrifice, Father God, we are free to come into relationship with you, Lord. I thank you for your blessing upon this bread, Father. As Jesus broke it, we partook of it. Disciples partaking of it. We partake of this bread right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead. Further tells us that after the bread, he took the cup, blessed it, gave it to the disciples and told them, eat, drink this cup. This is the cup of the new covenant in his blood, which is shed for us, every single one of us, so that our sins can be cleansed, washed away, so that the path between us and God could be made clear that there's nothing stopping us from coming into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just stop here, please, for a moment. If there's anybody in this room right now that has never taken advantage of the opportunity to pray and to declare your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never had the opportunity to invite him into your life, he's inviting you right now. Let's do that before we take the cup. Let's honor the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a way that you can become born again today. Let's say this prayer together. Father, Father I, believe I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he came to this earth, died on the cross, took my punishment on himself, and by his wounds, I am healed. Jesus, I believe that you're risen from the dead. You're seated in heaven. And you hear me praying right now. So Jesus, I invite you. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for making me a child of God. Be my savior. Be my Lord. Thank you for paying for my sins. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take hold of the cup. Father, I pray your blessing upon this cup, Lord God, and we take it with thanksgiving in our hearts, Father. Treating it respectfully, honoring the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus by honoring his blood. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't withhold the blood of your son, but you freely gave it to us, freely poured it out for us, Lord, at the cross. And we today, in remembrance of the Lord Jesus and all that he endured for us, we receive this cup with thanksgiving in our heart, realizing that you said in your word that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin, Lord. Thank you for the blood. Would you say that with me, please? Th thank you for the blood. Thank you, Lord. We receive this cup, Father, with a heart full of gratitude, in Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, we're out of here in less than a minute. But if you said that prayer today that we said just a moment ago for the very first time, or if you said that prayer as an act of recommitting yourself to the Lord, maybe you've drifted away or whatever, would you please, before you leave, take the step, come up here. There'll be people that are standing up here. Let them know, I prayed that prayer today for the first time. Or I prayed that prayer to rededicate myself. Why? It's important for you to speak those words. It's important for you to say that. Plus, we want to put a Bible in your hands. 
we want to give you some, some tools to help you now in this new journey of yours, in this new life that you just stepped into with God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that this service has been a blessing to you. I pray that you'll have a fresh new perspective about communion and a fresh new reverence for this, this celebration, this memorial that Jesus called us to. Amen. And listen, if you need prayer for anything that we didn't touch on today, please don't just leave and go home. Come up here. These same people will pray with you. And you can leave this place and just take all your cares and put them in the hands of Jesus and go home and enjoy the rest of the afternoon. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Those of you, please, that are coming up for prayer, please come up.